Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Landscape Nerd Podcast. This podcast is all about the outside world, what we do in it, how we make it, what we grow in it, all of that. And that means it's really all about people and how we interact with landscape. Now, if you're not a landscape enthusiast or a hiker or a designer or whatever, that's totally fine. I guarantee you, you're going to learn something new today. And if you do, then I am as happy as can be because that's my goal. Every episode, I want you to learn something new because that is what being a landscape nerd is all about. My name is Macy Nelson, and I am the host and creator of this podcast. And I'm just really happy that you're here. Let's get started. One of the hopes that I have for technology in this profession is to help people do their work faster. I don't know. It may sound like like a, a cop out or, or something. There's a strong work ethic and that designers have, but sometimes to a fault. Um, well, almost always to a fault. <laughs> How do we kind of give people their lives back so that they can be whole people to bring more back to the profession and to, to the like perspective of like what's important? That was Chris Landau. He is an artist turned landscape nerd. Chris reached out to me and we set up a time to talk just about his experience and being in the world of landscape architecture, even though he is not a landscape architect or designer, kind of. Chris is a unique type of interloper. And the more work I do with the podcast, the more interlopers I find. And it just goes to show you how big the world of landscape architecture actually is. And it's so interdisciplinary that we make these kind of connections that last forever. And they come in all shapes and sizes and types. And it's incredible. Before we start, there are just a few things I want you to focus on throughout the conversation today the many routes that there are into the world of landscape architecture that don't necessarily mean being a designer or being a architect. Also, I want to talk about how we take risks and what kinds of risks we take when we're trying to pivot our career or learn something new and that it's important for us to register how those risks feel and how they impact us keeping track of the type of values that your firm or your project team support and how it can support you in furthering your education in landscape. The biggest takeaway is that you are a whole person and your interests that you have will benefit the profession no matter what. It just makes us better. And it makes us more diverse in the ways that we think, in the way that we approach things, and that there is room for all of this kind of thinking. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I'm going to let Chris introduce himself, and we're going to learn a lot together. Yeah, I'm, I'm Chris Landau. I'm the principal of Landau Design and Technology. And um, I've also recently taught at Penn and Columbia. I usually I'm teaching environmental animation type of classes. Why am I here? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a number of themes that, you know, and conversations relating to landscape that I feel like I have something to say about. That's not your typical perspective because I didn't go to school for landscape architecture and, um, and I'm not technically a landscape architect. You know, I think a few of the topics that I'd like to talk about are related to technology and processes that um, are kind of also changing. But the, you know, and the idea of digital engagement and how do we use that also 
idea of alternative or unpredictable career paths is, is a huge yeah. reason I think I'm probably here. Um, and, and also just, I, I think being a, a business owner who has employees, I'm also thinking a lot about the new normal for the work environment and kind of like the new expectations really that are happening um, that we're all kind of giving ourselves surrounding what's healthy and what's what makes sense so so i started studying art in undergrad i studied printmaking and i had a hard time deciding between sculpture painting um industrial design and ended up somehow in printmaking because it was the most about drawing but it wasn't just drawing it was sort of um as my professor who convinced me to go into printmaking holly morrison said it's a drawing technology and that i think that sort of pulled me in and it's funny that now i'm still very interested in technology um and that was like that was before you know we all carried technology around with us everywhere and that, you know and it was it maybe it was a little bit more um of an interesting thing, you know, to sort of think, oh, wow, like this is how, this is how I can do drawing in an, in a more intense way and kind of imagine worlds in a more intense way. And I did a lot of that. I did a lot of like kind of world building and um, myth making and things like that in my undergrad. And then, and then I went to grad school at university of Michigan for my MFA where they have a program that is called art and design plus that's really about blurring the boundary between art and design but then also sort of blurring the boundary between art and design and everything else and um which is it's no wonder i ended up interested in landscape <laughs> yes, like, architecture yeah. because that's kind of like what that sort of really describes landscape architecture in a lot of ways um but you know i was i got also very interested in technology in the environment um, while I was TAing for Malcolm McCullough in a class called technology in the environment um, where, you know, he, we talked about everything from sensors to land art to, you know, urbanism. And he just, he covered so many interesting topics in that class. And, um, and I kind of partly because of this, I, I, I developed more and more of a, an interest in, urban design and things like that. And I was reading Jane Jacobs in the last year of my grad degree. And, and I suddenly decided that I needed to change majors and go into urban design. And I didn't do that though. My, my one advisor sort of talked me off a ledge and said, look, you don't need to start a whole new, you know, yeah, like um, don't major. My, my brother gave me similar advice. I was like, maybe I should go back to school for this. And he's like, no, stay an expert in your thing and then just integrate the, the, what you were trying to do, like yeah. bring that into what you're already like building on. Yeah. Don't start over. Yeah. Cause then you're going to be starting over in that world. Yeah, exactly. Use what you know as a base of operations, right. So that you can kind of build on that. And it's, it's like, that's the vocabulary, you know, and people actually value that, you know, people value your perspective as an artist or as an engineer or whatever, whenever you're coming into landscape architecture, I've found, uh, you know, people kind of really value that. So ironically, approximately two years later, 
I was, I started work at Olin. I, I finished my degree and then I had had my own business for about a year and a half. And that was sort of to do 3D interactive stuff. And it was interesting, but I didn't really know anything or, and I didn't really know anyone, you know, like <laughs> to, to, to run a business and to get the marketing I needed to, to really have the projects to sustain. Um, and I was also at a certain point, I kind of welcomed having kind of a quote unquote regular job. And I applied to work at Olin as like an image specialist, somebody who was going to deal with photos and things like that. And um, somebody else you should probably interview, uh, Sahar Costin Hardy, who became, you know, the person who took that job um, was much more well suited to it. But but I I was willing to take I, I was like willing to try to stretch myself in a new direction because I, I just thought Olin looked really cool. And I was, I was like, Oh wow, this is like everything I've been sort of thinking about all for a while. But um, the, the, the irony is I still didn't really, I still didn't really know what landscape architecture was. <laughs> I didn't like, I was basically completely unaware of the profession like in terms of like a lot of other people everything was surprising to me about the landscape (laughs) architecture world because i i just didn't really i i knew i i knew nothing you know i knew a lot about um art and design and installation and space and nature and you know was interested in nature and systems and 3d modeling and all these things that were really valuable to starting to work within the profession but i you know, I, I was, I was in a great place at Olin to learn all of the stuff I needed to know, or a lot of the stuff I needed to know about the actual practice and some theories and things like that about landscape architecture. And I did some reading and, and, and did a lot of looking and, and after 11 years there, I, I feel like I, I got, you know, I got like the, maybe not quite the PhD or something, but I, I, I feel like I, I feel like I've like, like you really got the a honorary. lot of landscape knowledge now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of a side question, just because you've worked yeah. with landscape architects and designers for over a decade. Is there like a, a stereotype? I don't know. I feel like landscape architects, we just span all over. So like, I don't know. Did you observe as someone who's like a kind of outsider come in and be like, oh, that's a landscape architect or they're acting like a landscape architect? No, that was actually a really fascinating thing to me. It took me some time. Like, I was like, what, what's going on here? I would find out that somebody had a a BFA before they went and got their MLA or I found out, you know, it, it, it just, it always kind of surprised me sort of the range of personalities and, you know, backgrounds and, and interests. And yeah, it was pretty amazing how I think how Olin was doing a good job of sort of pulling in a lot of ways of thinking for sure. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but I, I also remember bumping into Lori on the way out of work one day in the elevator, taking the <laughs> elevator with Lori. And he was like, Oh, how are you? How are you liking it here? And I, I was like, well, it's, it's awesome. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, landscape is really about everything and you know you, you can <laughs> look and you can learn and you you do this for really your your whole career and you know it was like it was like wow that's amazing you know like just this like little moment <laughs> like he gave his elevator pitch yeah literally. like you like elevator pitch for the job picture. you already are in and he's just like I'm gonna bolster that even more he that's just, he just blew my mind uh, to the next <laughs> level yeah it was it was pretty cool working with Lori was you know I, I didn't get to um he he's kind of stepped back quite a bit and even yeah. during that time um and you know he was pretty busy guy but 
but I got a lot of a lot of interesting opportunities to to kind of connect with him, which was fun. He he would come to me sometimes for for little tasks like here, scale this drawing of this little villa I'm working on in in Italy, and right. or or you know little fun cool things that that gave me an opportunity to connect with Lori. So that was that was neat. That is neat. Um, okay. Yeah, not many people get to like yeah. we study those people, right? And you actually got to meet them share an elevator yeah or being in the the meeting where he's drawing the the new plan for the metropolitan museum of art plaza or something yeah. you know with, <laughs> with, but you know I, mean, I think the real point is that olin has this amazing teaching culture and you know and and kind of culture of learning new things and sort of saying hey yeah we don't we don't know anything everything we don't know anything we don't know everything <laughs> we're, we're going to keep learning all of those things all of these new things as we go and and it's just it's just that's the presumption, you know, that, that you're going to be learning throughout your career. So um, that teaching culture helped you stay for so long, or I should rather, I should ask, was there a point before your 11 years that you thought about leaving to go do something else? Like, even if it was stayed like staying in the field or out of the field, like what made you stick with landscape world for so long? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, part of, part of what, made me stay at Olin in particular was all of the opportunities, all of the crazy projects. Um, but I was also constantly learning, getting these opportunities to learn new things. I, I, I kind of knew some software like Blender and Maya and Adobe Creative Suite. But, but when I started at Olin, I learned CAD, SketchUp, 3D Studio Max, Rhino, Grasshopper, Python, blew me on and Revit. Like I like every I, I was, student is so jealous of that list right now, because that's kind of a dream is to know all of those things to make it, you know, all the different yeah. tools, which I know we'll get into later, but that's an incredible right. list. Yeah. But, but the reason I made that list is because when I left school, it was sort of like, I should know everything I need to know now. Right. You know, and, and I'll go and I'll just get a job to do all this stuff that I know. And, and, but it's, it's just, it really, it's just, again, hits you over the head with there's so much you just, you're going to learn as you go and, and work. And so don't, don't assume that you don't, that you don't need to learn new things because, because there's so much opportunity to learn new things. Um, th there was the opportunities to learn software, to learn, um, to, to work on new exciting projects, but, um, I wanted, I wanted to sort of start my own business. Like when I first started working at Olin, I, I kind of had my, I had just come out of having my own business and I sort of had my eye on, you know, oh, if I ever go do my own business, like I'll remember that or I'll remember this or remember that. And then I kind of got really wrapped into the work for, for years. And then after a while, you know, you're at a place for a certain time and you start to sort of say, Hey, like I've been here for a really long time. And, and a lot of people I know have left and over time, and you know, there's new people obviously, and you make new friends and new colleagues. But I, I think eventually I was, I was, hel I helped found Olin labs um, while I was there. And I was sort of running the tech lab. And that was a really cool experience to sort of work with people and kind of be a little bit more independent on certain things. And I think it gave me a taste of that again. And I, I sort of started to realize that if I'm going to be managing, if I'm going to be, you know, doing these things, I would love to just like run, run the show and do, Could you know, you I've got so many ideas. Was in like just a quick synopsis yeah. for people who aren't familiar like me. So, 
Yeah. So this wasn't true for all the labs necessarily, but I, they gave me a little bit of time to work on things because I was developing tools for the office and I was, you know, and, but I, I would at a certain point, I put everything that wasn't like billable work. That was sort of these sort of R and D things into that bucket of, um, Olin labs and, um, and started really doubling down on building tool sets for the office, teaching people how to do things. But then we would also have meetings where we would, there were interested folks within the office. That was something a little different about Olin Labs, where it's not like full-time people necessarily. There were, I think they have a few full-time people, but it wasn't necessarily full-time people on the lab. It was people who were interested in spending some extra time on the lab or, or spending, you know, I think the office would give people a certain allowance of some time that they could they could use. It it was sort of it varied between people and their interests and what the project was and things like that. But um, we would it was neat because we would meet and we would talk about like oh how do we bring VR in or how do we talk more about GIS or how do we you know how do we bring in these these things that help enrich the work that we're doing. Um, and the interesting thing about the tech lab is it was always in the service of really a lot of the other initiatives of the other labs. Um, and in most cases, it was sort of like, okay, well, how do we develop something to help with this effort on this on this lab or this study that's happening over here? Were um, other firms doing that? Like, I mean, I know other firms have like research components, but was anyone else doing it as in, like intensely with technology like you like you were? I think I think there were a few. I, I remember really noting SWA's work in the oh, Excel right, lab, right, right, yeah. they were, they were definitely, they, they had some articles in uh, landscape architecture magazine. Right. I remember um, we were also, you know, we had the people lab and the build lab and um, eco lab and, or design. design design was kind of, it was more about sort of thinking and having conversations about design kind of from a higher level, you know, and they, the design lab kind of was doing more of like hosting people presenting about their projects and things like that. Um, okay. But, but yeah, I think, I think we looked at each lab was kind of like looking at examples outside right. that we were interested in. I, um, as tech lab, we were kind of looking at a lot of, a lot of our examples came from the architecture world mm. really. And I think a lot more more firms are doing the kind of lab thing now, yeah. or at least they were until the pandemic hit. And then I think that made it just kind of harder to, to kind of, you know, the, the lab is kind of like the cream on top, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like the extra. Um, and it's harder to have that whenever you're, you're sort of trying to be lean and mean. I think it's really important to make room for that though, because it doesn't really take a lot of extra room to start to um, be more mindful of your processes to um, to kind of spend a little tiny bit of extra time, like especially with technology, building an extra workflow or exploring an alternative um, as you're working in order to to build things up. And I, I feel like the way that I've learned a lot and I didn't have people sitting there teaching me all the software and things like that. Um, I, I really feel like I learned a lot of stuff by taking small risks on, on like each project. Um, if I took a big risk, I ran the, the possibility of really screwing up a deadline or whatever. And that wasn't very good. But if I took a small risk, uh, you know, usually those were big wins because I, I was adding something new to the to the palette, or I was, I was creating some efficiency or, or some, 
some new way of solving a problem, things like that. And what I found is, is a lot of times you're sort of also making time for yourself. You're, you're, you're saving some time if you can, especially with technologies, say create an efficiency or... Could you give like an honest estimation of how much time maybe in total you spent or how you investigated those processes? Because let's say like I'm a, I am a designer in a small firm. And so if we're trying to understand what processes might benefit us, is there like a number that I can send, tell my boss, like if I can get an hour a week or something, you know, like, is there something that you found or maybe other people have given you feedback when learning about even your software, you know, like how long it takes, because that's something that, yeah. that's the number one reason why people don't do it. And that's why we kind of get stuck in our ways sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's a really, I understand how hard of a sell it is um, now, especially that I'm running my own business, but I, I'm, I'm I'll never forget how important it is to kind of allow people a little, a little room to sort of learn a new thing or or try a new thing or um, sometimes sometimes you can make the argument via marketing you know to sort of say hey like if we can do this we can really prove ourselves to this client and then the next time around they they will they are going to come to us and then you know we can make the business case uh, for for it you know in terms of the time like I said I they gave me eight extra hours a week but I usually worked more like. And, you know, I, I wasn't working 40 hours a week. I was working 50, 60 hours a week. Of typical uh, creatives, yeah. like nature, yeah. I think. But I also spent a lot of time on side projects um, for a while. I was doing some art projects where I created an animation. I was doing teaching and I was doing a lot of research into learning how to do things in, in those spaces as well. So I really That's learned a lot of grasshopper and a lot of Python by doing kind of art projects on the side with those tools. Um, and then that gave me the confidence to be able to pull that back into the studio to, to feel like I could put it on a deadline or, or, or you know, utilize something like that on a deadline and not feel like everything was going to blow up at the last second, <laughs> you know, no, the, the, I, Kind that's of some a confidence smart idea building yeah yeah because um i remember there's some like some technologies especially in school when you're if i have a manual option i tend to go towards that but if it's a technology option i need something to draw me in and it was like okay christmas presents if i can make my christmas presents on like cad and then i'm turning the cad drawing into like a laser cut then i will enjoy it a little bit more yeah i'll start connecting things in ways that yeah. weren't available so it's like i was gonna spend that time anyways manually making something so if i can do it digitally and learn a new software then that would help you, you just keep taking small risks and things just sort of ratchet up it builds up and and it's it's it, you're doing it in a way that's fairly safe you know you're not you're not trying to sort of take on all of this craziness at once um you know there, there are moments for that there, there are, there are, but, but they, they need to be really calculated and you have to use your intuition sometimes to figure out when that, when those moments make sense, but getting a sense of taking the small risks helps you to do that because landscape architecture is a generalist profession. Landscape architects always expect to do everything themselves, right? Because it's sort of like, well, I should be able to do everything, but as more and more expectations get piled on you know, i.e. technology, it makes sense to have people who specialize in different things 
that are working on similar goals. My role at Olin, for example, was specialized in graphics, 3D animation, and, and computational design. That, that, that became part of all the projects I was working on. I started using Grasshopper for every 3D modeling task, like I, you know, figuring out how to use it in, in, in different ways. And so I got, got a lot of experiences there, but because I could focus on those things, I got, I got better at them more quickly than somebody who's um, every once in a while doing a rendering, you know, uh, i.e. The, the sort of the general practitioner. I, as I was trying to teach people how to do new things and do all of these kind of demos and things, I, I was a little frustrated that I, I couldn't get traction in a lot of places because I think people just did not have the bandwidth to really learn the new thing and, and learn grasshopper and, you know, really figure out how to apply it. And I focused more and more on how can, how can we just get people to actually use, use it and benefit from it. Even if that meant like writing the script for them and saying, here, use the script, here's how to use it and um, whatever. Um, so, so I think that, that sort of thinking translated into my business and also this, this new software land kit. I launched Landau almost four years ago. And the goal was to focus mostly on computational design, animation and fabrication prep. I didn't really want to be like a rendering firm. Um, because I didn't want to get stuck in just doing that. I, I got some, you know, pretty interesting projects early on that really focused on the stuff I wanted to focus on, which was good. And I almost immediately decided to do was to work on LandKit, which I had been had been simmering since I started the business. I had the name in my head. I had all these things. Um, and I just didn't have the time because I was trying to get the business to work in the beginning, you know. I, I really focused on three main things, topography and really which sort of growing into just site design in general. And then, um, and then paving kit, which is sort of like kind of the easiest one to use, um, but, but sort of helps to kind of solve a lot of custom paving problems. And then plant kit, which is probably more complicated than the other two, but it provides a brand new way of thinking about planting design, like a not brand new. It's, it's, it's a way of taking hopefully a lot of the, the ideas about performance-based design for planting and making that accessible in a workflow that doesn't require you to remember every single detail about every single analysis drawing and every single plant. It helps you to sort of say, hey, I, I know that we need to do an elevation analysis, or I know that we need to do a sunshade analysis, and that those things are actually going to affect which plants we plant where. And I know that that certain plants want to have certain conditions, and I have 20 plants and I can set up those those rules, right? And and Plant Kit allows you to do that without having to remember all of these details. Like, and and you can instead look at the the overarching system and say, hey, is this working? It it can also just be a tool for exploring and getting. This is what biologists say when they're they're kind of studying something that it's getting a feeling for the organism and it's sort of getting a feeling for the organism of the site and understanding what plants can go where. Um, and things like that. And we're trying to add more, more environmental analysis tools, like thinking about the wetness of the soil. Um, and, and we're, we're, we've implemented, um, sunshade and we have proximity analysis so that you could say, okay, anything near an egress. So you could put in some points for egresses mm -hmm. and then you could, you could place more floriferous plants near the egresses. So you can actually 
change things that just aren't necessarily just environmental. You can also change design aspects as well. So you can say, oh, I want this area to have yellow flowers and I want this area to have blue or and, and you can have a range of of color as well. So for environmental and ecological constraints to coexist with aesthetic constraints and then using all of those constraints and those conditions it's it's essentially placing plants for you it's not necessarily not necessarily a tool for spitting out the final design we have the mission to sort of make these things accessible and and improve the profession and so landkit a lot of the core features are free um Especially there's a, a lot of features in plant kit that are free. You can do so much in plant kit well, when, with the free version. But um, we do have some pro components and pro pro features that, you know, require a pro key. And you essentially just input the key and it unlocks these the features. We're doing that because we we want to be able to improve this software in ways that we know that would be really, really challenging to do if we were just completely bootstrapping it. And we're, we've largely been bootstrapping it so far. And we have a lot more stuff we want to build robustness for the tools so that, so that people can, can really get the most benefit out of, out of them. But, but we also really believe in using grasshopper as a design tool. It's just so hard to use grasshopper in landscape because you're, you're, it throws you so many really challenging problems that are really hard to solve unless you really know grasshopper really well you know so you had said that it was a over the phone before you said it was like a rhino extension or is it grasshopper and i don't so know if I know grasshopper that could be me not so the difference. it's turtles all the way down okay um, yeah <laughs> basically rhino is is a amazing cad cam software that is it's great for 3D. It's great for, you know, architects use it, industrial designers use it, jewelry, uh, jewelry designers use it, boat designers, airplane designer. I mean, a lot of, I mean, to do a lot of really creative stuff, there's, there's a lot you can do. Grasshopper is a essentially like a visual coding environment that comes with Rhino now. And um, it used to be separate. It, it, you could think of it as a plugin, but I, I think it's sort of just part of Rhino now. And um, LandKit is is a, a component on top. It's it's a plugin on top of that. It, it's it's software on top of software. It's turtles all the way down. Um, but well, that's helpful. So it's like it's so yeah. it's not like new and encompassed because I actually think. The fact that it's, you know this, I'm just saying it for my own sake, but like the fact that it's on top of another software or integrated with another software makes it probably a bit more flexible versus like when people get softwares as whole pieces and there are some landscape design softwares that come as whole things and you're like, well, I can't do this one thing that I need to do or it doesn't fit or it doesn't fit the parameters that they had set for their software. So there's nothing for me to work with like in in compromise with uh it adjusts so i think that's why i it's good to clarify that this isn't its own software like solely in like encased thing it works with other softwares 
land kit is very, you know, it's, it's kind of about having code and, and it, it really is a computational design tool, but we're just trying to make it more accessible. We do believe it's like the future of how people will use computers to do design and that it, that the computer shouldn't just be another drawing tool, that it should be sort of a way of really iterating through things, but in a creative way, in a way that's not overly technical. Have you um, experienced yeah. any pushback on that idea? How do we use computers as a part of the design process without letting them take over the design process? Yeah, de- we've definitely done a lot of thinking about that. I think Landkit's objective is to be an extension of the designer. You know, allow allow the designer to to do what they want to do from a design perspective more effectively and more efficiently and be able to change things. Um, and also to have 3d and to have like work in 3d. Um, and, and, you know, any opacity that's there in terms of a, a designer, not understanding is really just a, a, a technical limitation that they just haven't learned enough about the software yet. Go check out the software. I am a complete, like novice to modeling. I did attend a workshop once for Rhino and Grasshopper like two years ago, and I haven't touched it since. So when I did download Land Kit and Paving Kit and Plant Kit and started to play around, I was really surprised at how many fun configurations are happening. I didn't make anything remarkable, but I will say that it was interesting to learn a new tool. Also, Land Kit provided a lot of material. So that way, while I may not be that fast moving right now, I have confidence that with their resources and a little bit more time, I can probably get to a point of doing something really cool. So if you are already well-versed or more familiar in Rhino and Grasshopper than I am, I think you'll really find Landkit is worth a shot. Great. Okay. So for the last couple minutes, if you could maybe offer some advice for young designers on technology and how they approach it in their designs, maybe even in school or yeah, just like maybe just like, how do we now frame that? Like, how do you want to, how could we approach technology in a new super helpful way rather than this required step that we probably feel when we're in school and it makes a little bit of a drag, but anything in that realm I think would be great. Well, I would say, first of all, keep drawing or start drawing. If you, if you don't know how to draw, I, I, I meet, I meet designers who don't draw or who are like, I'm, I'm a bad drawer. And it's like, well, just, you know, like, that's like a really, really important thing to think through your ideas and communicate your, your thinking. And it's part of thinking. Drawing is really a critical part of thinking through design. And I, so I, I still, from my art background, I think drawing is still really, really important. I do drawing for figuring out land kit, you know, like I, even though I'm, you know, doing coding and sometimes I'm, I'm actually a software developer. I'm using drawing to answer those questions. Other advice I have, um, you know, I think, I think that folks should really think about what they want to do or what they think they want to do or what they're passionate about and, and look for the opportunities in the firms where they can do those things. And I, I, you know, hopefully people are doing that, but, um, that may include firms that aren't landscape architecture firms. It might be a planning firm. It might be a GIS analysis firm. It might be 
who know like a rendering firm or a or a you know interaction design firm. I think I think there's so many things that landscape architects, because they're generalists, can sort of connect themselves to. I hope people don't see this as a, a way of diminishing the the profession. I actually think that a lot of people, if they're really interested in landscape, um, may have these experiences and bring back really great new ideas for the profession and, and, you know, new bases of operation for, for interesting um, perspectives and, and diverse, um, you know, ways of looking at a problem. And, and so, so I, you know, I, I think there's plenty of, plenty of opportunity to have, you know, for, for a variety of work within just landscape architecture firms though, too. I'm not saying that, you know, people should all go work at a game design (laughs) company or whatever, you know, like, um, I I think there's something unique about landscape. Um, it's actually part of the part of it that I wish I, I did more of, which is just being out there and like actually, dealing with plants and installation of things. And I, I have, I've been sort of doing my own meadow and garden Mm -hmm. uh, these past few years because I've just, I couldn't stand it anymore. I I needed, I needed like, I needed to like touch plants and and do, do these things. Um, I know the feeling well, yes. (laughs) Um, I think that's great that when I ask you about what advice for technology and using it, it's to actually go back to the tactile and the manual, because that shows me that these are skills that can build off of each other. And it's not about taking over. It's not about like replacing one skill with something new. It's about how integrating it. And I think that's great because I think technology and landscape need to, integrate um and we need to do it sooner probably rather than later thank you so much chris for joining us and talking to us about so many things and sharing a part of your story if you are interested in more land kit talk or land kit information there is a website that you can go to and it is landkit.design also, if you're interested in checking out the firm Landau Design and Technology, their website is landau.design. So please go check them out. I'll list his websites on the resources page on my website, thelandscapenerd.com. Also, feel free to let me know what you learned from this episode by sending me an email at thelandscapenerd at gmail.com or send a message on Instagram. You can find me at the Landscape Nerd. As always, it's been a pleasure nerding out with you and I cannot wait to talk to you soon.